In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I have been to the mountaintop, said Dr. Martin Luther King in 1968. I believe that even folks like us who live in this beautiful, low-lying coastal town, a mere 34 feet above sea level right now, know exactly what Dr. King meant. We know because that image of a mountaintop resonates in our hearts. We know because the narrative of a mountaintop experience runs all the way through our scripture as a place where ordinary human beings, just like you, just like me, have a life-changing experience, some kind of inexplicable connection with God, where God is present and where you can catch a glimpse of ultimate truth. I hope right now you might be remembering an experience of your own, maybe more than one, just like that, thinking of how it transformed your life, how you knew with certainty that you are a beloved child of God. Maybe it was at a retreat or a camp, some breathtaking natural experience. Today in our gospel, Jesus goes to the mountaintop and he brings some friends the apparent leadership of his disciples, Peter and James and John, to the top of a mountain. It's Mount Hermon, to be exact, 9,234 feet above sea level, 9,200 feet higher than we are right now, almost two miles of elevation. That's a mountain. Scripture tells us that at the top of this mountain, something happened. Jesus was transfigured before them. What does that mean? What is transfiguration? Well, it might help to know that the Greek word for transfiguration is metamorphosi. Metamorphosis. We understand that. It's important to remember, though, that a metamorphosis is more than just a change of appearance. It's a change of essential form, a la the caterpillar to the butterfly, right? Scholars suggest that in this moment, Jesus is breaking his human cocoon. And these three disciples in this moment are seeing him more fully as the Son of God. We heard earlier the account of Moses on Mount Sinai, how he saw the face of God and had such a shine on his face that he had to cover it with a veil. Moses was reflecting the light of God, quite literally. But we've got more than just a shiny face here this morning with Jesus. Jesus is the light of God. Luke says that Jesus' whole face changed. His clothes became dazzling white. If you turn to Mark's gospel, it says, quote, such as no one on earth could bleach them. The NIV translation says his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Bleached lightning. Hmm. Now I'm just saying that would make a great laundry commercial. And Lucy West would call that a dad joke. But if we really think about it, it's not so amazing that Jesus, the Son of God, was glowing in this moment. It's truly amazing he wasn't glowing all the time. Think of those lyrics from one of our beloved Christmas hymns. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Jesus, the glorious Son of God, Veiled in flesh. We heard that Moses took his veil off when he would speak with God again. Moses reflecting God's light. 
Now God's son today takes his veil off to speak with his disciples. Jesus is God. And then Moses and Elijah appear. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Why not some of the other greats like Abraham or or David or Ruth or Samuel or Deborah? Why these two? Well, let's remember that Moses was the lawgiver and Elijah was the greatest of all the prophets. Jesus will say later, I come to fulfill the law and the prophets. We even say in our own scripture on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. So here on the mountaintop, the law and the prophets bring tangible testimony to God incarnate. Imagine, imagine being one of those disciples. I'm just supposing that James and John are in awe. And Peter, well, Peter says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Really, Peter? That's all you have to say? Isn't that a bit of an understatement? It's good for us to be here? This is why I like Peter. I like Peter quite a bit. Right before this incredible experience, you might remember it's Peter who proclaims Jesus as the Christ. When Jesus says, do you know who I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter is there with the right answer. He's probably feeling pretty good about himself, ready to be the good guy with another good answer. But Peter kind of messes things up here today on the mountaintop. First, he forgets that number one rule that when you don't know what to say, say nothing. Instead, Peter starts blabbering, Master, it's good that we are here. Have you ever just talked and talked without really knowing what you're saying? Yes, me too. Quite often, actually. So we're all kind of like Peter here. Second, Peter wants to stay on the mountain. But in truth, the Lord wants him to go back to the valley. We know this. There's work to do. It just so happens that God wants the very same thing from you and from me. So here's a challenge at some point to take out a Bible There happens to be one in front of you in the pew right now next to the hymnal. You might read later what happens right after they come down from the mountain. But don't take your Bibles out right now. I'm not finished talking. (laughs) But read for yourselves. There's plenty to do once they're off that mountain. So that's two blunders. The third Peter makes is suggesting that we build these three shelters, dwellings. Now is not the time to build a condo, Peter. But he is suggesting in the moment that all three, Jesus and Elijah and Moses, are the same. And I think that might be when God had it with all of Peter's nonsense, because now we hear God's voice. It is God that interrupts the moment. It is God that completely overwhelms them by saying, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds familiar, Didn't God already say this somewhere else in Scripture? And you are right, almost. You're remembering that when Jesus was baptized, it was God's voice saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But note the difference. God was talking to Jesus when Jesus was baptized. Today God is talking to the disciples here. Not you are my son, but this is my son. Both instances firmly establishing Jesus as God's son, but this one also gives that command. Listen to him. My son is the final word. We can all remember that. So now at the end of the day, Jesus and his three disciples come down from their mountaintop experience back to the valley. And let's be honest, most of our lives, most of our ministries, alas, are not on the mountaintop. We live and we love and we work here. 
at the sea level intersection, the common street corner of life. Those mountaintop experiences, though, we have a good idea from Scripture how they happen. Moses was talking to God, admittedly on a mountain, when he got that shiny face. Jesus was praying to God, again, on a mountain when he was transfigured. Jesus was praying when he was baptized and the dove descended. Jesus was praying when he chose those 12 disciples. We're going to see Jesus in prayer at other times that we might not recognize as mountaintop experiences. Jesus will be praying in the garden before his arrest. Jesus will be praying on the cross. So it turns out then that mountaintop experiences can also come in the valleys of our lives, just as often as when we're up there seeing those grand vistas. Think of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. God is with us always, and we recognize it most often when we are in conversation with him. Remember that Paul tells us to pray unceasingly. What a mountaintop that would be. I'm thinking that maybe Dr. King understood that. And I'm also thinking that maybe, after all, Peter did have the right start. Master, it is good for us to be here. Then we listen. Amen.